One of the most common misunderstandings of our faith, I think, is the reduction of the resurrection to the level of a miracle story about what we might call revivification. That is to say, we often think of the resurrection as being simply the story of a man named Jesus of Nazareth who died and was later found to be alive. Now, please don't understand me, misunderstand me rather, I'm fully persuaded that the man Jesus of Nazareth died and rose again from the dead on the third day after his death upon a Roman cross. This has been the apostolic witness from the beginning, that on the third day he rose again from the dead in accordance with the scriptures. What I'm saying is that the resurrection cannot simply be reduced to that event. Its significance is not exhausted by it. After all, the gospel writers themselves tell us of other risings from the dead, the daughter of Jairus or Lazarus of Bethany. In fact, we hear quite regularly in our own day reports of people who have been clinically dead, sometimes for some length of time, being brought back to life, and no one seems to be founding religions based on those events, either in antiquity or today. Of course, the first witnesses to the resurrection very quickly realized that their encounter with the risen Lord was pregnant with a significance that could not be exhausted by their initial experience, for that encounter somehow engaged their whole selves in a reality the significance of which could never be comprehended by human perception, but into which each one of them found they could enter, and by entering, be completely transformed, in fact, completed. Now, the scripture lessons that the church appoints throughout Eastertide at her masses and offices speak about this mystery of the resurrection. They show us how to plumb the depths of it and of its significance and how to enter those depths ourselves. In our gospel lesson this evening, our Lord speaks of his resurrection as a kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, and he likens this kingdom to three things from the world of nature, to a sower who sows his seed, to a mustard seed, and to yeast. Now, there is much that could be said about each of these parables in turn, but there's one major idea towards which each of them points. Each one of these images warns us not to attempt to locate the reality of the kingdom, that is to say, in this season, the resurrection, at any one moment in time, and not to attempt to judge its significance as though we could somehow intuit it as a whole from the sum of its parts. Rather, we are to intuit the reality of the kingdom 
as the actuality implied in the potential of the life of the person who accepts it as reality and enters into it as the gift that it is. The mustard seed has life in itself, as any ensouled reality must, but the fullness of that life, the reality of that life, is not simply in the seed, but in the tree. The reality is in the fullness of life to which the seed points. Nor can the success of the sower be judged by the admixture of weeds amongst the crop at midsummer. The reality that is the work of the sower is not simply the crop, but the harvest. Not just the sowing, not just the growth of the crop, but the harvest. Just so the, the resurrection and its significance cannot be judged in light of Easter morning alone. For the resurrection is not simply revivification. It's not simply the restoration of human life to an individual, but rather the elevation of all human life into participation in the very life of God. So it involves the restoration of life to an individual, but it's not merely that. And so the resurrection points to and finds its completion in the ascension, first historically and then liturgically. But more than this, neither can the significance of the resurrection insofar as we are sown into it in our baptism, be measured simply from the standpoint of that new beginning. We are indeed made members of Christ, and we do really and truly die to our sins in him and rise again in his own risen life. And yet the full significance of our resurrection in him can only be measured in the light of the completeness of that risen life that we will come to know only at the end. To the one who conquers, says the one who is the beginning and the end, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give that one a white stone with a new name written on the stone which no one knows except the one who receives it. That new name is our life in its completeness. It is God's kingdom come in us as it is in him. And that name, known only to God and to be revealed to each of us in the fullness of time, is already somehow accomplished in the resurrection of Christ the risen one. So the full significance of our life is to see its completeness already and to live into that completeness. As we learn to gaze upon him 
may our eyes become accustomed to the reality that is himself and ourselves as found in him. And may we come to see and to know in and through the very limitations, fragmentation, and incompleteness of our lives, the complete life of which our very longing is the clearest sign. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.